Amen. Good morning, Harlem. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. So we jump right into our message, our con- the conclusion of our series on surrender. Uh, let's pray. God in heaven, Father, we want to thank you for giving us a beautiful day. Uh, it's going to be hot, and I hope and pray that we don't complain, especially when it was cold and we couldn't wait for it to get hot. And now the heat is here, and our hearts will be exposed. I just want to make it clear, Lord, that I didn't complain when it was cold. So you know my heart. I do pray, God, that we get, ha- get to have a great time in your word today, that you will encourage us and build us up uh, and teach us how to completely and totally surrender all of our lives to you as we can entrust you with everything as you have proven yourself faithful to us. Help us to prove ourselves faithful to you. It's in God's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we conclude with part three of our series focused on the discipline of surrender. You know, what's interesting is that whenever I preach a series, God always finds a way to help me to preach from conviction, preach from experience, So I just want to be very clear that I'm not just up here telling you guys what to do. God is also working on me through all this. And so uh, recently I had to work on this very discipline. I'll share just a little bit about that later. Uh, But just a, a brief recap in our first lesson, we discussed the what of surrender. We talked about having in mind the things of God in order for us to understand what God wants us to surrender Last week, we looked looked at the why concerning surrender. Uh, We talked about ridding our hearts of of disobedience because the biggest obstacle to surrender is disobedience. And therefore, obedience is expected. Sorry. Obedience is expected. Uh, Obedience will be tested. And ultimately, obedience will be blessed. That's just how God is. Obedience will be blessed. He made the promise to Israel when they uh, came out of Egypt. He said, if you obey me, your life will be blessed. And, you know, it makes sense to us intellectually. Yes, I should obey the God who made everything. He knows better. But often we're tested because sometimes we think we know better. Or at least we think we know better for ourselves. And we think that it seems irrational. Uh, We think that it... It defies all logic to, to entrust ourselves to a God we can't see or touch. But you didn't make yourself. You were made. And therefore, it does defy logic. Because God cannot be contained in a box. And so it makes sense for us to trust the one who created us in the first place. Uh, we need to remember the who of surrender. Who we're surrendering to. You know, um, I love this quote by Gordon Ferguson out of his book, The Victory of Surrender. If you never read that book, I encourage you, read it. Uh, He said, Jesus did not walk the green hills of Galilee verbalizing nice little spiritual adages that would be suitable for greeting card inscriptions. He incited a spiritual revolution against the views of the religious establishment of his day, and his work got him killed as a criminal. That is who you are following if you are a disciple. 
So the big question now is, how do we surrender? How do we surrender? So today, we're going to get very practical. Amen? We're going to get very practical. And I I want us to walk away understanding how we can surrender to God. All right, so the title of the whole lesson is Entrust Yourself to God, because ultimately that's what surrender does. Surrender is entrusting our lives, entrusting our finances, entrusting our relationships, entrusting our dreams, entrusting our careers, entrusting all that we go through and all that we are to God. It's you're saying, God, here's my life. I want you to make the best of it. And so that takes a lot. It's a lot easier said than done. Because there's our will, and then there's God's will. And sometimes the two doesn't always line up. And therefore, our will may take us this way, but God is like, you said you want me to take control. We need to go this way. And that's oftentimes where the battle ensues. Where we want to go this way, but God wants to take us this way, because this way is all green lights. But this way is some red There's some yellow, there's some green, but we need to trust God nonetheless. So giving God your life is like a father taking his son to an uncharted place and his son on his back, trusting his daddy's strength, his daddy's direction, his daddy's ability to get him safely to where he's going to go. Surrender comes down to simply trusting God with the when, where, how, and why when it's unclear, but you rely on God to carry you, just like this little boy is relying on his dad to carry him. I mean, when you think about it, we have examples in the scriptures. Was it not true with Abraham? He followed God's leading without knowing where it would take him, right? Hannah, she waited for God's perfect timing without knowing when. God would come through. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she expected a miracle not knowing how was this even going to be possible. And in Joseph, he trusted God's purpose without knowing why circumstances happened the way they did. Great examples of total surrender, which tells you and I that we can absolutely trust God with our lives. So how do we develop this discipline in our own lives? You know, in his book, The Victory of Surrender, our brother Gordon Ferguson explains how, and I borrowed some of his practicals because I thought they were great. Why reinvent the wheel, right? So he said, the first thing is be committed to prayer. Begin by praying about your decision to surrender. I remember 20, almost 24 years ago, standing in the middle of a car accident with my hands lifted to the sky. I don't know who I was praying to. I assumed it was God because I didn't have a relationship with him at the time. And I just said, I surrender. My relationship with God started with a prayer. A prayer of surrender. I had no idea what that meant. I was just tired of trying to figure life out on my own. And I just threw my hands up after walking away from a near-death experience. And I just thought, God, I give up. I surrendered. And I had no idea what was going to happen afterwards, just like a lot of us here today. We got to ask God to give us the strength to surrender to the challenges that he's taken us through. 
When you read your Bible, you see that there are men and women who've gone through some life-changing experiences only to come out different than when they went through it. And that's part of God's plan. Challenges are part of God's plan to redefine us and refine us and, 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 and renew us from inside out to help us to look more like his son Jesus. So when you're unwilling to surrender, you got to pray something like, Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. That's just getting real, right? We need to be honest, but be willing to surrender to God. We need to imitate the father of the demon-possessed son who said, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I think that speaks to a lot of us here. We believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe in God. But there's some things we don't. And instead of just walking around with this, this unresolved conflict in our hearts, maybe we need to pray, God, I do believe. Help me overcome the things I don't believe. And when it comes to the matter of surrender, then we need to say, well, God, I, I want to surrender. Help me overcome my lack of surrender. You know, prayer, prayer also allows us to face our fears when it comes to surrender. Because ultimately, Satan wants to make us fearful. Satan wants you to mistrust God. Satan doesn't want you to believe in God's promises. And so he keeps fear in front of you. He makes us fearful and he puts us in situations where you can't possibly see how God is going to get you out of the situation. And instead of trusting God, Satan comes over and says, see, I told you so. You put all your trust in him and look where he got you. Look where it's gotten you. Whispering in your ear, just like he did Job's wife. Why don't you just curse God and die and be over with? Isn't it easier just to curse God and die and, and just, just, just let me move on? Whispering in his wife's ear. And she whispered into her husband's. Just curse God and die. Be done with it. Why suffer? Look where all this devotion has gotten you. Look where all this, 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 this commitment has gotten you. Your kids are gone. Your, 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 your home is gone. You're sitting here in boils. Where's God now? And that's what Satan does. If there's an ounce of fear or doubt in our hearts, he's right there to fan it into flames. Because he ultimately wants us to mistrust God. As most of you have heard today, our brother Junior Hickman has been in the hospital for a while now. Awaiting a new lung. You know, I went to visit Junior a few times, and I got to be honest, I was struggling. That brother got a 70-inch screen TV. I'm like, you ain't suffering. He got his little studio to the side. Some of the brothers brought down his weights. I'm like, bro, this looks better than my apartment, man. You got, you get good food. People come in there, you know. You can kick people out when you want to. All you got to say, you're tired, right? <laughs> but he's been waiting for a long time, and we've been praying for God to provide a new lung for our brother. You know, a few days I got a call 
from, uh, from Clive, Clive Rose that uh, Junior was undergoing a procedure. And they had a scare there for a minute. Something went wrong, and we actually lost him for four minutes. And so the doctors came in. It was like something out of one of those, those uh, hospital movies, ER. Blue lights were flashing. People were running up from all over the place. And they were working on him. And they can't use the, uh, the machine because of his, his state. So they had to manually bring him back to life. And they did. I mean, it, it's amazing. The doctors and nurses rushed in. They worked on him, resuscitated him. But what's more incredible, to me at least, was the surrendered will of his amazing wife, Veronica Hickman. You know, she was not like Job's wife. She was not sitting by her husband saying, why don't you just curse God and die? That wasn't her. She had already surrendered her husband to God. She had already surrendered her will to God. She had already trusted her, her, her husband's life into the hands of God. And she knew God is not going to take him even amidst this, this, this scary moment. She knew that God would not take him if God was not ready for it. And let me tell you, her prayers, that heart of surrender, God rewarded that. Our brother went in for a lung. He got two lungs. That's the victory of surrender. Surrender comes down to trusting God when the wind, where, how, and why is unclear, but you rely on him to work things out. That's what surrender is. When God must give you temporary discomfort or pain in order to help you in the long run, you look toward the blessings that are coming your way. You look towards the joy set before you. You pray urgently. You pray thoroughly. You pray loudly. But you pray because you got to surrender to God. So prayer, being committed. You got to have a committed spiritual partner. You need to pray and be committed to prayer, but you also need a spiritual partner. You know, God works through people. That's just how it's always been. God works through people. We serve God through serving people. You can read that in Matthew 25. And God serves people through us. Now, I know some of us wish it was different because we like to be alone. We like to be at ourselves. Like, man, I wish God didn't have to use me, but he does. And he wants to. And guess what? He will. Sometimes you don't want to share your faith and people come and share that faith with you. And you're like, dang, now I got to talk. You ever been there? I remember being in Walgreens late at night. I was tired. I didn't want to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up a prescription and I'm, I'm not talking to nobody. I just had this, you know, I'm just like, I just want to get home. I'm tired. And this guy walks up to me and I'm, t I'm not lying. Walks up to me and said, are you a minister? What am I supposed to do? Lie? He walked up to me and said, are you a minister? And I was like, 
I woke up because I'm like, what in the world is this? I didn't have any ministry clothes or anything. I'm like, and he said, you have this, this, this aura about you that you look like a minister. Now, I've been told I look like many things, but minister was not one of them. So I'm thinking, and so we get into this conversation, and I'm thinking, God, what? You got a sense of humor. God is funny. God is funny. People share their faith with you. You can't escape it. If God's going to use you, God's going to use you. We are not designed to bear our burdens alone, nor are we able to surrender or stay surrendered to God by ourselves. When I threw my hands up 24 years ago and surrendered to God, there had to be some people to help me surrender all of my life to God. They had to teach me. They had to show me. They had to walk with me. So that's the first step. But then you need people in your life that's going to help you stay surrendered to God. You know, we need the encouragement of other godly men and women in our lives. Got to think about who's been in my life to keep me out of the dark places. Who's been there walking with me in my marriage to keep us out of the dark places? There have been people who invested time in your life. You need to thank God for them. Whether they were helpful or not, you need to still thank God that you're not going through this alone. Because ultimately, sin is what blocks surrender. And being open with each other is what keeps, is what keeps our shortcomings from overwhelming us. And not just talking about the sins we've committed, but also the temptation. We've got to be open at the temptation level. Because that's where our hearts can stay pure before God. Consider these one another passages. Right? Romans 15, 14. Instruct one another. You know, we're encouraged to instruct one another. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another. You submit to me, I submit to you. It's not this lord it over me type of thing. God calls us to submit to one another. Yes, there are people that God puts to shepherd his church. And Hebrews 10 does talk about submitting to the, to the leadership. But I, I got to submit to you as well as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the foundation of discipleship. And then God puts people in different positions but other than that, we still must submit to one another. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. How can you teach someone if you're not in a relationship? How can you admonish someone if you're not around the fellowship? How can someone teach you if you're not around? How can someone teach you if you're not open about what's going on in your life? We need each other. Let's look at a few more. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. Who here needs encouragement? Who here needs to be built up? We all need it, right? You can't get that if you're not committed to spiritual relationships. You need somebody. Daryl's been faithful to God despite all the stuff that, he, that he, he, he exposed today that he, he's dealt with. But he's had men in his life encouraging him to stay, to stay pure. Encouraging him. To keep his sobriety, encouraging him, warning him, bro, don't go to that party, there's alcohol there. He had people in his life watching his back, and we all need that. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Sometimes we need to be kicked 
in the pants to do the right thing. Now, I know we all like that. Encourage one another. Yeah, that's the, that got the loudest amen. Build each other up. Praise me. I, I need that. But who here is willing to say, bro, I need a kick in the pants. I need to be spurred on. That's not pleasant. That's why. And I can tell you, every year of my 23 years as a Christian, I got spurred on. Because you need it. You can't just get encouragement all the time, and then we'll be this, this big, happy, mushy church that's, that's all, all, all happy on the surface, but nobody's really changing and becoming like Jesus on the inside. We look like a good church, we sing like a good church, but are we the church that the Bible calls us to be? It can't be like that unless we are spurring one another on. There are times you sit down and someone's talked to you, someone's prayed with you, someone showed you scripture, someone talked to you, they call you to repent, and you still don't change. You know what needs to happen? You don't need encouragement right there. You don't need to be built up right there. You need to be spurred on. You need to be spurred on. Because otherwise, we won't move. And we can take the kingdom of God for granted. We can take each other for granted. We got to spur each other on. I need it. You need it. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. It's not just about confessing. We got to pray. Man, you know what, God? This brother just got open about something in his life. Please heal him. This sister just bore her heart. She just, she just gave in the sin that she, she's entangled. God, she's weak. Please heal her. It's not just about us getting open. We got to do something about that. We got to be praying for each other that God will heal us so that we can grow. Amen? You know, surrender was never meant to be a do-it-yourself project. We need people in our lives. We also need to be committed to spiritual challenges. Every now and again, you got to take that leap of faith. Some of us hadn't taken a leap of faith since we made that initial leap of faith of becoming disciples. We got to keep taking a leap of faith. You know, surrender requires Jesus being Lord in our lives, and lordship requires obedience. As Jesus put it in Luke 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? That's convicting. I mean, that hits you right where it's supposed to. You know, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do what I say. There are people who live in secret sin as Christians, Lord, Lord. But they don't do what he says. You're not fooling anybody. Now, you may be fooling us because we're not following you around with a with a, a, a camera and looking at every second of your life, but you know and God knows. And it's only a matter of time before God exposes it. And you know why God does that? Because he loves you. God does not want you to live in sin. So God is like, all right, if you don't get open, then I'm going to do it for you. I'll do it for you. And when I do it, it's going to be complete. So I'm giving you a chance. Get open. Get honest, but stop calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say. You're lying to yourself. 
Obeying on those commands which are comfortable for us and easy for us means that we're living in that comfort zone. You know, there's some things that are very easy, like encouraging one another. That's fairly easy. You know, you go, you get in a conversation for five minutes, somebody tells you about what's going on in their life, you're having a hard time at work, hard time with the kids, hard time. Man, you know what, I, I can encourage you, but spur somebody on? I don't like conflict, bro. I don't want to make people upset at me. I got friends here, I don't want to... If you've never been in those kind of conversations, you need to ask yourself, am I committed to the challenges? You got to get into those, look, my wife and I, I love that woman with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my, I, I, aside from God, there's no one else on this planet I love more than my wife. But for us to continue to have a happy marriage, there has to be conflict. I don't like conflict, especially with my wife. But sometimes you got to deal with things. And if we're not talking things out, if we're not dealing with things, then we're just lying to each other. And it's only a matter of time before it all falls apart. Same thing happens with us. You know, we tend to pick and choose what we find are easiest, and then we avoid what we think are difficult. And then sometimes we, ra we rationalize these self-service choices with spiritual jargon like, well, bro, you know, that's not really my gift. It's not really my forte. That's not, you know, that's not my strength. Or, you know, I really don't want to mess it up, so I I'll just, I'll leave it for somebody else who has that talent. And you're just dodging all sorts of responsibilities. Just broke in your usher. Oh, you know what? I'm not really nice with people. That's not my strength. I'm not a, I'm not a people person. Sis, can you sit in on this study? Ooh, uh, you know, uh, I don't have the gift of teaching, so you might want to have somebody who has a little more experience. I don't want her to fall away, you know what I'm saying? I don't want her to struggle. Bro, can you, can you share for communion? Ooh, yeah, you know, uh, no. There you go. Here's the thing. The New Testament does talk about God giving us special gifts and how we're to use those special gifts. However, however, not having a gift in a certain area does not remove our responsibilities from that area. Let's look at a scripture, for example. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Right? Now, those without these special gifts are not exempt from serving in these areas. Bro, I don't have the gift of teaching, therefore I can't serve in the children's kingdom. No, you can learn. You can learn. So just because it's not your gift doesn't mean you can't serve. Well, bro, I don't really have the gift of contributing to others. 
I don't have that gift in the wealth department. But So that exempts you from giving contribution because you can't excel in that area? It's still expected of all of us. Look, if, if, if it is serving, let them serve. Now, we may think that, well, that's not my gift. I don't know how to serve. Like, again, bro, I'm not good with people. But you can walk with someone who is good and learn from them. We're all learning because this is all who Jesus was. So we're still called to imitate Jesus. There are no exemptions. God still expects us to encourage one another, even if it's not your special gift. Now, there are some brothers like our brother Jack Moore, who's just, I mean, Jack, Jack has encouragement pouring through his pores. You stand next to Jack for five seconds, you're like, man, I was down. I wanted to leave, you know, everybody. And I just spent five minutes with Jack. And now I'm like, man, I want to go run for president. The brother is just super encouraging. He's always smiling. Oh, you know, it's like those type of people. You're like, man, why are you smiling all the time? Everything is groovy, baby. Everything is groovy. Ah, you know, we're, we're, we're in Christ. How could you not be? How could you not smile? That's his gift. He has a gift to encourage. And so, because that's his gift, doesn't mean that I'm exempt from encouraging people. I still need to learn how to encourage. What challenges have God sent your way to deepen your, friend, your, your surrender and dependence on him that you're running away from? Just because it's challenging doesn't mean you get to avoid it. We're going to keep running into those same challenges until God finally gets us to accept it. And we grow in those areas. And then lastly, we need to follow the example of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the ultimate example of surrender. And, you know, if you're new to the Bible and you want to learn about Jesus, start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start right there. Sit there for a while until you get familiar with Jesus. And then walk with someone who is a disciple of Jesus. Because just reading the Gospels yourself, there may be questions that come up. There may be some things you need explanation. So you've got to walk with somebody who's actually following Jesus so that they can help you to understand some of the things that he teaches. But one of the things I love about Jesus is that he never ran from a challenge. Now, he avoided some foolish conversations, but he never ran away from a challenge. Even when he knew that Herod was out for him, he did not run from the challenge. Jesus knew exactly what he had to do. And he met every challenge with faith because he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He faced the greatest challenge, which was the cross. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32 through 36, it says that when they went, to, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. Here you see Jesus committed to spiritual relationships. And he began to, deeply, he, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but what you will. You know, talking about surrender is easy. 
But surrendering everything to God is extremely difficult. The higher the cost in your life, the more difficult the process is going to be. Your cost may be higher than mine. Mine may be higher than yours. But however high the cost is, surrendering it to God is, is hard. Which is why it's commendable by God when we do. Because God understands. He understands that we're not called to do something that's a walk in the park. We're called to give up our lives. He understands. He gets that. Which is why God will walk with us and be with us and give us what we need. But in this brief encounter in the garden, Jesus shows us exactly what total surrender is and how to accomplish it. Look at this. What did Jesus do? He included others in his struggle. He wanted company. I'm thinking, wow, that's impressive. You know, my tendency is when I'm, when I'm down, when I'm, um, I'm depressed, when I'm, when I'm feeling things, I want to be alone. Jesus wanted company. And he called his three closest friends to be with him. Some of us would rather retreat and try to handle it on our own. Others rather only deal with our challenges with others instead of wrestling with God in prayer like Jesus did. The former lacks humility. The latter lacks trust in God. But Jesus lacked neither. Jesus was totally honest about his feelings. I thought that was impressive. That gave me permission to be honest in my prayers to God about how I'm feeling about things. Too many of us are not transparent on an emotional level. Someone asks us, bro, how you doing? How you feeling about that? Ah, I'm all right. You know, I'm all right. No, you're not all right. Be honest. Get help. Some of us feel like, well, I don't want to be a burden to people. I don't want to tell people how I'm feeling because I don't want people to freak out or I don't want people, you know, I don't want to burden people. And, and, and you know, well, then say that. Because that's something that you're feeling. And that's compounded on what you're already feeling, bro. I, I, I want to talk to you, but I feel like I'm being a burden because of all the things that I'm feeling. Be honest. Get open about it. We're far too quick to excuse ourselves in this area. You know, I recently had to deal with some emotions that I had towards a friend, someone I love and respected, uh, and still respect, and I've avoided dealing with it. Because of those very same things, those very same reasons. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cause that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be that. And, and what that does is it piles up and, comes, and it gets to a point now when it's spilling over. And now it takes all the time that you could have just spent dealing with it from the, from the beginning. Now you've got to spend all this time dealing with it now. And it's not good. Jesus got open about his healings. You know, we need to keep all of our emotional struggles in the light so that Satan cannot use them against us later. Get open about that. Amen? Jesus stated his preferences clearly. I think sometimes we're too quick to say, thy will be done. Without really spending some time to say, wait a second, what do I really want? Because I'm, I want to be a good soldier. I want to be a good Christian. I want Lord's will done. But, but you know, if there's another way... Lord, which is what Jesus did, right? Jesus asked God, if it's possible, remove this cup. Take away this responsibility. 
But God said, no, there's only one way. And so Jesus, after clearly expressing his preferences to God, was able to surrender because he got it out. He said, Lord, this is what I would prefer. This is my will. But I want your will to be done more than I want my will done. But you've got to be able to say, God, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. You know, I love this quote by Gordon. He says, once we do talk out all those desires, then we must make a decision to surrender them. But before preferences can be crucified, they must be stated. Before we can crucify those preferences, before we can ask the Lord, you've got to put it out there. You've got to let God know what you would prefer. Amen? Get it off your chest. If it doesn't leave your mouth, it won't leave your heart. Jesus prayed until he was totally surrendered. Sometimes we say a prayer and that's it. We got to pray until our hearts are surrendered. Jesus went back three times and prayed the same prayer, asking God to remove this responsibility, to take away this cup. He had to keep going back. Now, Jesus had to keep going back to God to surrender. This is what he came to earth for. This is a sole purpose to come to earth, to die on the cross. And here we see him right now wrestling with the reality of, man, this is what I prepared my whole life for. And now the reality is here. I don't know if I want to do this. Is there another way? But he prayed until he reached total submission to God. And he found the, he found the strength that he needed to face the cross and all the events that led up to it. Don't you realize, I think it's interesting that through all these events leading up to the cross that Jesus was the only calm person doing the whole thing? Peter chopped off somebody's ear. Everybody ran and scattered. Jesus was the only calm one. Friend, do what you came for. Whoa, don't do that. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Heal a man went, stood before the council, didn't even fight back when they spat in his face, punched him and slapped him. Calm through the whole thing. Why? Because he obtained God's peace that transcends all understanding. It baffles us. But guess what? You could have that same surrender. You could have that same peace if you entrust yourself to God. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7, you know, what helped me get through my own trial this past week was I meditated and I prayed this passage right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And a peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes our thoughts can take us places we don't need to go. And we need to pray because when you're anxious, you, wanna, you, you think of all sorts of things. When you're stressed out, when you're worried, you, you, your bond takes you a million places. And so for, in order for us to achieve that peace, we've got to put it up to God in prayer. We've got to give it to God in prayer. And it's only then can we surrender all our anxieties to him. When we surrender our, our anxieties and give, um, give God all that we're worried about. So as we wrap this up, I want to just put out there that God is ready and willing to help us surrender. It may seem like a scary thing, but you need to talk to people who have already surrendered to God. 
Talk to our sister Veronica. Talk to people who have gone through those valleys of shadow and death and who trusted their lives to God, who trusted their situations to God. If you need encouragement, if you still need encouragement, don't just sit there. Talk to somebody. Find somebody. Ask God to lead you to someone who is totally surrendered so that they can help you surrender your your challenges to God. I want to close out with this quote. It says, surrender to God is not the impossible, unreachable dream. It is attainable on a daily basis. Surrender means that we deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow him. Following him is the greatest life possible, filled with the greatest challenges possible. But follow we must, and follow we will if we are his disciples. Set your mind on living a life of surrender, and do not allow any emotions to distract you from his course. Entrust yourself to God. How? Be committed to prayer. Take it to God. Quiet times are good, but there are times we need some loud times of prayer. Be committed to a spiritual partner. Don't go at it alone. Be committed to the challenges. Let God stretch your faith. Get out of your comfort zone. That's where growth is. And then lastly, follow the example of Jesus. Just as Jesus achieved the victory of surrender, so will you. To God be the glory. God bless.